One moment, Jose. We're almost ready. Okay, let's do this. Are we ready? Yes. We are ready. Okay, here we go. Jose, get ready. I'm going to count you down. Coming in five, four, <clears throat> three, two, one. Welcome to Kingdom Talk Radio Hour with Dennis McCourt, founder of God Hope Ministries, along with co-host Dr. Michael Bogart, president of Aspect Ministries. Kingdom Talk is where Christ is King, and we are the subjects and citizens of the Kingdom of God. Yes, once again, we are here on Kingdom Talk Radio 1550 KXEX. Welcome. We're going to be talking all things Kingdom like we always do every Saturday from 12 to 1, uh, and I have my co-host here as usual, Dr. Michael Bogart. Good to be with you again, Michael. Good morning, De well, good noontime, Dennis, I guess is what we should be saying, and uh, <laughs> how are you doing this fine, hot day? Yeah, I'm doing good, doing good, and just excited about the conversation today as usual. We have much to talk about. We had a guest scheduled this morning, a young evangelist uh, that we'll have on at another time, but he had a sinus infection because of uh, you know the situation with COVID and such, uh, we decided to ask him just to go ahead and and, and not come in. But um, the thing is, is that uh, we have been talking about what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? How do we function in the kingdom? And how do we then relate to the world around us as citizens of the kingdom of God? And then secondarily, uh, being citizens of America, you know, and what that looks like. In relationship to the scriptures, there's many views on this. Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, uh, there's there's a there's a few main views uh, with regards to how to to deal with 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 the body politic. But for that matter, how do we relate to uh, the marketplace? You know, uh, how do we rate, re relate to education? You know, and various things. But before we get into that a little bit more, I just want to remind everybody that uh, we are also on Facebook at Kingdom Talk on Facebook. Uh, we also uh, on Instagram, YouTube, and then you can reach us at kingdomtalk at gmail.com. And so, you know, we've been uh, wanting to kind of go a little deeper with regards to what it is with regards to the boundaries of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? What's not the kingdom of God? And ultimately, there's two, two kingdoms. Uh, there's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of man. And um, that's an important thing to understand. And... The whole idea of separation of church and state, uh, really, when it is properly understood, is a biblical concept. Yeah. Well, I think so. And in many ways, you know, this whole phrase, separation of church and state, uh, comes from Thomas Jefferson. He was responding to some letters that were written by him from some churches that were wondering, you know, what where they stood in terms of government and how much freedom that they had. And so that that phrase was coined by Jefferson. It's it, it really isn't in the Constitution. It's it's basically Jefferson's description of what he wanted to see in terms of the relationship between government and religion. Yeah. Um, First Amendment though does protect our right of free exercise of religion. That 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 wording is in the Constitution. Right. That was a letter to the Branbury Baptist Association, 
in supporting uh, them uh, from the state denomination that was pressuring them to give funds to the government that were used for the support of the state denomination there. Right. And so, um, but he wasn't the first one to use that term. Um, we, we have the, 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 the founder of Rhode Island, William Rogers. Uh, he was an amazing man of God, amazing man of God. And uh, he was a good, uh, over a hundred years prior to that, uh, he was fleeing religious persecution, denominationalism. Uh, and he founded Rhode Island. It was the first uh, colony there that uh, had true religious freedom. Mm -hmm. And he said that uh, there is a wall uh, between the, the church and the state to protect the garden of the church from the wilderness of the world. Mm -hmm. So it really is about, it's about keep your government out of God's kingdom. Keep your sphere separate from the church and don't make edicts that are going to influence and control how the kingdom of God functions, how the church functions. Right. So you're, you're referring to Roger Williams. Roger Williams. Said, what did I say? You said William Rogers. Roger Williams. I had a little dyslexia this morning. It's okay. This, this afternoon. I understand it. It can happen. This. this he is an amazing guy. Yeah. You know, and, and he settled in Puritan New England and Puritan New England was was working off the European model that had been there through the Middle Ages, and that is that there would be a single church in a in the country, and that the part of the tie or part of the taxes basically that were collected by the government were given to the state church. And so, when the Puritans settled in Massachusetts, they just kept that model that they were now the state church, and uh, they expected everybody to conform. And Roger Williams said, "Well, I can't do that." And so, I mean, he was a Christian. He just couldn't conform to all of the things that they that the Puritans stood for. So, he was forced to flee south and founded a city called Providence, which is now the capital of Rhode Island. Come on, Providence, right. Rhode Island. Now, now I so appreciate your knowledge base, Doctor Bogart, and you've taught on the Reformation. You've taught on medieval church history and church history overall, have you not? I Yes, I have. What's the name of one of the classes or a couple of the classes? Um, one is called the Middle Ages. Yeah. And then the, the other class that I've taught many, many times is called uh, Western Civilization. Wow. Wow. So, we need, we're going to, we're going to be tapping into that knowledge base as we go forward today and beyond today. Right. Because with regards to what's going on in our society, it's important to understand the foundations of Western Civilization and how the gospel the gospel of the kingdom has been uh, influenced. It's been salt and light. It's been a leaven, you know, in a positive sense that's been been influencing the culture of Western civilization. And uh, there are forces, dark forces, that want to overturn the foundations of our Western civilization. But again, that is uh, that is a separate kingdom from the kingdom of God in the sense that the church, the move of God. Uh, is a subculture. It is a countercultural movement of those who are submitted to Jesus Christ as, as King, who have repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead, and and they are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, establish God's kingdom on earth in the context of you know worship, prayer, the proclamation of the word, evangelism. Uh, and uh, ministering to the whole body, soul, and spirit of humans with regards to restoring man to God in ways that are 
robust and uh, full-orbed uh, in establishing God's kingdom on the earth. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about Western civilization, um, really it, it's the only civilization that has been influenced in a major way early on by Christianity. I suppose you can say the others have been influenced, but early on, and, and, and so much so that Christianity's become kind of part of the whole fabric of Western civilization. To oversimplify, but I think this helps people understand, Western civilization arose out of the Greeks and Romans, the whole Greco-Roman culture, you know, the ancient Greeks and the philosophers and, you know, Roman, the Roman customs and the Roman law and Roman conquests all over the Mediterranean world. It was, all, it was kind of a brutal society, really, in many ways. Um, and then many people in the Roman Empire, you know, from the time of Jesus onward, of course, Jesus was born during the Roman Empire. Uh, many people eventually accepted Christianity to the place where in the in the 200s and 300s, a significant part, I, and I don't know what the numbers are, but let's say 20, 30% of Rome had converted to Christianity. So, at, at, you know, at, at what point can you say, we're going to kill all, we're going to kill 30% of our population? Because there were times in the Roman Empire when the persecutions were not just putting pressure on the Christians, it was to try to exterminate Christianity. Those, those periods were, oh, I don't know, there are three or four or five major periods where Rome decided they were going to, you know, basically exterminate the, the church. And so, you know, when it gets to be 20, 30%, that's a pretty heavy toll. There's, there's hardly anybody who's not affected somehow by it because they've got a relative or a neighbor or a friend that, that, that is a Christian. And so at some point around the year 312, Constantine, who was, a, who was trying to become emperor, he was fighting off a couple of other guys who wanted to be emperor, um, decided that if you can't beat him, join him. Now, he claims to have had a vision. I don't know whether that vision really happened or not. It, it, you know, it's anybody's guess. But <clears throat> he uh, made Christianity a legitimate, uh, basically a legal religion in the Roman Empire. And from that point on, Christianity had real status because the emperor was behind it. He himself did not become a Christian until really a week or so before his death. If even that was authentic. But. Yeah. But as emperor, before he was a Christian, he's running church councils. He's, he's, uh, he's telling bishops, okay, I want to hear you. Okay, you sit down. You've said enough. <laughs> that kind of stuff. I mean, it was just kind of bizarre. But from that point on, there's this partnership between Christianity and the Roman state. And, of course, once Rome fell in the West around 475 A.D., then the barbarian kingdoms came in. So now you've got Greco-Roman culture, Christianity, and now barbarian culture fused into one thing that we now call Western civilization. Well, now this is, this is something to talk about. We need to just hold off on just this for a minute here and, and take a look at that marriage between church and state. This is what we're talking about, mm -hmm, okay? Mm -hmm. The fact that there are two kingdoms, not one kingdom. And that marriage is exactly the opposite of what Jesus did. Jesus was taken, uh, uh, you know, he was actually uh, in the wilderness and he was tempted of the devil. One of the three temptations was, um, if you will bow down and worship me, Satan said, that I will give all these kingdoms unto you for all the power and the glory of it has been given unto me and to whomsoever I will, I give it. So, so, but Jesus resisted that, you know, you shall worship the Lord your God alone. He used scripture like we should be doing when we're fighting against principles and principalities. He brought the word of God, the Holy Writ, uh, to, to play and refuted the lie of the enemy. And so also, if we remember in, in John there, 
after the feeding, John chapter 6, after the feeding, excuse me, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says they pursued him to make him king. And he, he, he hid himself. Yeah. They tried to make him king. And then P Jesus tells Pilate, he says, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, my servants would fight. And one last thing on that with regards to separation of church and state. Um, we have where the Pharisees are tempting Jesus. Okay. And one of the, one of the, the, the questions they ask him, is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar? And he asked for a coin. And on that coin, there was an image of Caesar on there. And he said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God that which is God. And so uh, this idea rightly understood, not as the left tries to make it say that Christians need to cower in a corner, and not speak their faith in the public square, which is antithetical to Christianity, first of all, and to the command of the Great Commission. But it's also uh, antithetical to our First Amendment. Right, <clears throat> right. So, you know, here's the deal. Christianity has struggled over the centuries to figure out how it relates to government. Because, and, and I, we've been talking, you know, you and I, Dennis, before the show actually began, we, we've been talking about the stance that Christianity has. And there have been times when Christianity has dominated government. You'll see that sometimes in the Middle Ages when popes have excommunicated kings and emperors and, you know, um, basically bent them to their will so that the pope was kind of running things. Um, then you've got times when, early on, when basically Christianity was driven underground by the government and they had little or no voice, you know, in the official, you know, sphere, the public sphere. And then you've got some in-between places, in-between relationships in which Christianity has some influence, um, but, but maybe not a lot of influence. And so Christianity's been in all of those places. In fact, probably in this world right now, I don't know that Christianity's ever running the show any place right now, but certainly there's, there are places where Christianity's being completely suppressed and places where Christianity has some influence. Uh, and we've seen that in our own country where, you know, there have been times when Christians had a, a very clear voice and a very strong influence on the way things have gone. Mm -hmm. And there are times when Christianity's been shut out and we see now, I think, that Christianity is very much in disfavor, very much considered to be, by some people, even dangerous. <clears throat> and so we as Christians now in our country, in the here we are in the 21st century, trying to figure out, okay, how do we get involved? I mean, we've been called to be salt and light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Don't hide your light under a, a basket. You're the salt of the earth. Don't let it become worthless in terms of its influence. And so... We're now wondering, okay, how do we go about doing this? Do we, do we run for office? Do we, do we vote? You know, do we protest? Do we, um, you know, set up lobbyists? Do we just withdraw? Well, that, this is the thing. We can talk about this a little bit because Wayne Grudem is a renowned scholar and theologian. And uh, he says there's really six main views uh, of how the church is to relate to the world and government specifically. He says... The first view is government should compel religion, which we talked about. We know that's wrong. We've seen that in the Middle Ages. Okay? Yeah. Okay? And then the second one is government should exclude religion. And we see, we know that's wrong. And the foundations of our nation were largely influenced by Christianity, by the Bible. Okay? Uh, there was a confluence of ideas at the founding of our nation. Uh, you know, Enlightenment ideas, even Masonic ideas. And there was a largely Christian, you can't deny this. 
uh, even though the left wants to do that, but they can all day long, but we know the truth. Uh, and then the government, uh, the other view is that uh, um, that all government is evil and demonic. Now that's really a tempting view. I, I'm, I'm almost there. <laughs> but we know that there are, that the, the ministers are sent of God. It says in Romans chapter 13, that they're the ministers of God to us for good, right? So, so that's the third view. The fourth view is the church should do evangelism only and not politics, uh, which um, that's, you know, you know, it's certainly about priority, right? Right. Uh, but, but certainly we're not excluded from doing politics. We have examples, you know, Nehemiah, we, we have uh, Esther and, and, and so yep. many examples, Daniel and so many examples of, of those that did uh, have a strong influence in, in government. And the fifth view is that the church should do politics only and not evangelism. Well, we know that's wrong for sure. And then uh, this, the, the more balanced view is that there should be significant Christian influence on government. Well, on, on all phases of life, not just government, yeah. on entertainment, on yes. education, that's on, right. on business, you know, on, on just, you know, the, the whole fabric of society. Jesus said, as I mentioned, we're, we're to be salt. Salt is a is a healing, it was used in healing in the in ancient times, it was also used as a flavoring. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that imagery, and then the, of course light, you know, light makes everything clear. So we are called to be an influence wherever we are. I mean, if you're in a family and you're the only believer in the family, you're supposed to be an influence on that family. I mean, in, in a way, I shouldn't have said supposed to be, because it should be a natural thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not like, okay, my duty today is to be an influence on my family or my job or, you know, or wherever we are. It should be a natural thing. I've liked to have said, I, I like to say many times, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, it should come out your mouth. Yeah. And and I think that's true because you listen to people and if, if there's something that they're excited about, let's say the their team won, you know, the World Series or something like that, and they're really into it. Well, they're going to go around talking about that, mm -hmm. or, or they just got engaged to be married. Well, you know, they're not going to keep their mouth shut about that, at least not to people that, that they care about. Yeah. Or they got a new job, or they inherited some money, or they found out that they're cancer-free. You know, whatever the good news is, they're going to talk about it. If you don't talk about Jesus ever, then there should be some question in your life about how much of an impact he's actually made. Yeah. And so that's... The influence that we have should be almost a natural thing, I think. Well, no doubt. You know, in, in the idea of Christians running for office, I'm going to read from the DMV version. It's the Dennis McCourt version. Here, <laughs> okay. And Jesus said, he says, truly I say unto you, how hardly shall a politician enter the kingdom of God? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a politician to enter the kingdom of God. But with God, all things are. Are possible so the point being is that um, that it is difficult to be a true disciple of Jesus and function in a role as a government governor right okay but it's not impossible right because the temptation is so great the, the more power you have the more ability you have mm -hmm. to, to siphon money off in very creative ways for your own benefit. or the temptation Yep, the temptation to do that, the, the temptation to to control people. You know, honestly, I've said before that any position of power attracts narcissists. Mm. You know, I've said that concerning the ministry. There's a lot of people in ministry that are pure narcissists. Why? <laughs> because you have power over people. People listen to what you say. They, 
you know, there are some people that if you've got reverend in front of your name, then, you know, basically you've got, you've got a real platform to speak. And so narcissists love that and they're attracted to it. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that all pastors are narcissists. I'm just saying that because it's a position of respect and power, it tends to attract some of those people. Well, just be honest. Uh, to some degree, all humans are narcissists. Well, in, in a way that some of us control it maybe better than others, but, but it's true. And government, I mean, just think about it. Let's say you're elected to the city council. Well, you know, there's some things that you now can do that you can't do as an ordinary citizen. Or if you're if you're elected to Congress or you're the president or whatever, you know, you're some government appointee mm -hmm. with some with some power. There are things you can do. Yeah. And if you if you are self-centered and if you don't care that much about other people, you can do some real damage. This them. is why the Christian worldview is so important with regards to government because uh, we understand, as Jeremiah said, that the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Correct. Okay. And so there's a, an, an understanding of the reality of the fallenness of man. And that's where so many in the world today, they get it wrong. You know, I'm okay. You're okay. No, we're not okay. We are uh, fallen and we are sinful and we need a savior. And so, uh, th those who are deceived uh, really, you know, by the enemy with regards to uh, humanity, uh, and they don't recognize their own selfish, narcissistic tendencies and aren't able to bring them under check and die to them, are set up for power grab and for hegemony and tyranny. Have you ever been to a, <clears throat> uh, let's see, what do you call that thing? Is it Midnight Madness? No, Black Friday. Black Friday. You know, oh, yeah. Right after Thanksgiving. Oh, gosh. The stores open up, you know, at, to what is it, six in the morning or uh -huh. some, some yeah. such time. And and uh, people are lined up, you know, at, at the store. Right I like Midnight here. Madness better. Well, it, it probably is a better <laughs> term. But so, you know, and, and you're lined up to go. I I went to one of those once with with uh, with some of my family. I vowed I would never do that again because <laughs> people here. turn into animals. They're They're pushing. They're grabbing. They're... You know, they're it's they're sending family members over to strategically stand in front of things so you can't get grandmas them. grabbing the cane, you know, and hitting people over the head to get that big screen TV and sweet little old ladies turning into real vicious monsters. Sometimes I'm not, and I, this is an exaggeration, but but that tells you that honestly, when there are no restraints, then people's nature tends to show what it really can be. Uh, under some under some kinds of circumstances, wow. and I think that's no what the, restraints. The Bible is telling us that mm -hmm. that our hearts are deceitful. When when we're under restraint, you know, we're we're around people. We don't want to appear to be, you know, bad people, mm -hmm. and, and we we want to be polite and all that. And 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 there's a part of us I think that does want to do right, mm -hmm. but there's a part of us that under some kind of conditions it will revert to, hey, I care about me only, and too bad about you. The Bible says that's the fundamental flaw in human nature. And that's why we can't fix ourselves. It's why we need a savior. You talk about no restraint. Uh, the scriptures, you know, they say that without a vision, my people perish. But another translation and a, a better in the Hebrew is, is that where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. Yep. And so that's the, the importance of being salt and light with regards to our world and society. Talking about the second kingdom now, the kingdom of man is because we recognize that we are fallen, sinful human people who need to self-govern. We need to have discipline. Uh, and, uh, you know, 
uh, I think it was Benjamin Franklin that said that um, that our republic is 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 only for a moral people. Correct. You know, yeah. and so we must be that prophetic voice in uh, the world to help in bringing about a society that is well ordered. Uh, and so when there is no vision, people cast off restraint, and that vision is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Right. And it's true. You know, Benjamin Franklin was not a Christian. He was a deist. Yeah. Um, which means that he believed that there was a God, but that's, you know, he didn't feel like God was really that involved with people's lives. But but Franklin got some things right, and, and that was one of the things that he got right, was that was that you, you have to, if, if democracy is going to work, people have to have a moral standard that they that they agree to and that they're willing to live by. Otherwise, it, it descends into what I think we're seeing in parts of our own society these days, and that is, you know, it's it's just whoever's the most powerful, whoever has the biggest voice, whoever can intimidate anybody else. And we're, we're seeing a lot of that, which, why, why are we seeing it? Well, I think because some time ago we threw off moral restraint. Yeah. Especially those in power have done that. And I, My goodness. I think one of the things that we're seeing is that some of the people that we have trusted in government have turned out to be people who were just, the, the the caring image was just that. It was an image. It wasn't really true. And, and they have been completely feathering their own nests and um, not really doing the job they were elected to do. Well, is, let's talk about how, how, how the, we're not, what examples we're not to follow with regards to how we function as citizens of the kingdom of God whereby we are salt and light and we are influencing the world. You don't, what you don't want to do is do what politicians do that say, well, I'm against abortion, but... Uh, you know, uh, the, the, we're going to we're going to we're going to support and fund Planned Parenthood, which was founded by a racist, you know, Margaret Sanger, uh, who was a, a, an avid eugenic, was in, believed in eugenics and was a racist. OK, and we're going to fund. I'm a Christian now. I'm a, I'm a devout Christian, a devout Catholic. Supposedly. By the way, that Margaret that's Sanger what he says is in her writings. It's not it's not a slander against her. No. She has written things. If you do the research, what you said is actually what she wrote about herself well and even even Planned Parenthood was, was pretty much forced to acknowledge that uh, mm -hmm. and so so to to say you know I'm a Christian and I believe in traditional marriage between a man and a woman that marriage is monogamous monogamous relationship between a man and a woman uh, period there's no other definition of marriage you can call it what you want you can call this bottle of water and this headset here you know you can say they're married you can say what you want but by definition, uh, according to God's word and to the truth and the reality, is this between a man and a woman. But then you could support an agenda that waters down that and does harm to uh, the purity of marriage. Right. And that's not what we're to do. And there are politicians that cloak themselves in religiosity. I'm a devout Catholic, and then promote these type of evils. Uh, and uh, that's and then, that's and that, then fall back upon their Catholicism when. When they need to, or or, or know, Protestantism, or whatever they are. Yeah. But currently, we have a, a leader of this nation, the president, you know, Joe Biden. Let's just call him out by name. That claims to be a devout follower of Jesus. Well, you know, by your fruits you shall know them. Yeah. And it says, by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. And so, um, now I think that applies to any politician. I mean, you know, I learned. I have been associated with narcissists from time to time in my life. And, and I think most of us have. Mm -hmm. So 
One of the things I learned about narcissists is you've got to turn the volume down. Just turn the sound down because they will convince you and that most of them are really smooth at convincing you that they're just wonderful people. Turn down the volume and watch what they actually do. Yeah. And the politicians are very much that way. You, you've got to stop listening so much to what they say and start watching what they actually do. If what they say matches what they do and it's, and it's good, hey, you've got a winner on your hands there. Well, Jesus said, many shall come to me in that day saying, Lord, Lord. In other words, I'm a devout follower of Jesus. Lord, Lord, and shall not enter the kingdom of God. Whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, it's what you're talking about. It's our, our, our life, our right. character. Right. That dem- by, their, by their fruits, you shall know them. Right. And so absolutely. Now, on this, on this, this note about how we relate you know, to, to politics, again, we pray for and support our pastors. It's a very difficult time for pastors, certainly coming out of COVID and all that's happened there. Um, and it's a difficult arena um, with regards to how do pastors handle, you know, voting, you know, and do they endorse a candidate, you know, do they talk about political things from the pulpit? And, uh, you know, pastors need to be prayed for and supported and, and be led of the spirit. And there's no cookie cutter answer to that. But I do think that it's clear that we're safe in preaching on principles Godly principles about life, about purity. You well, know, you know, you're a citizen. I'm a citizen, I, yeah. and I have been a pastor several times in my life. And for multiple years, I mean, over 15, 16 years, you've been twenty years. Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, as a citizen of the United States, I have a right to my opinions, and I can voice those opinions. I cannot say my church endorses a candidate. I can mm-hmm. say I do. Yeah, just there like you go. anybody can do it, but I can't make the church endorse the the entire church as a policy endorse mm-hmm. a candidate. That's that is not allowing the freedom for the government to be the government and the church to be the church. So, and, but you, like you say, you can you can talk about policies in terms of what the Bible says, like about about abortion, about marriage, about um, you know certain other kinds of things in society, drug use. You can talk about those things from a biblical perspective and you can say, look, and, and I, well, let me just back up. I have had people over the years, sometimes I've had friends over the years who have confronted me and tried to get me to say that the Bible condones one thing or another. And, and I say, look, it, it's not up to me to, to, to make the Bible condone something. It, the Bible does what it does. All I do is tell you what the Bible says to the best of my ability. I can't say, okay, let's change the Bible or, or let, let's make, let's pretend that the Bible doesn't say this and we're going to say that it says that. The Bible does not condone certain kinds of behaviors. And, and you know, I, I can't change that. Mm-hmm. So e- either you decide that the Bible is true and authentic and it, it, it represents the reality of what God created the world to be. And then you've got to you've got to somehow deal with that. You've got yeah. to sort that out, or you decide that the Bible isn't something that's worth you know going by. It's it's not worth living by. At that point, you just basically put the Bible on the shelf and never open it back up again because you've made your decision that the Bible is not something you want to live by. But you can't try to live by something that the Bible is not. You can't say that the Bible says something it doesn't say and then pretend that you're living by the bible yeah and you're ultimately putting yourself above god you're smarter than god you know better than god and uh, this particular lifestyle this sin is okay even though the scriptures teach 
that it is not okay. Now, now the thing is, with regards to speaking on issues that are affecting our people, the kingdom, the citizens of the kingdom of God are being affected by abortion. We ha- we have abortions that are happening within the church. People are affected by homosexuality. People are affected by divorce and in, in, in these things. And some of these issues are not dr- dealt with directly. Uh, and um, and many times the thought is, well, I don't want to be political. Well, that can be a cloak for really for cowardice. Uh, and 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 really, we what we must do is teach through the scripture what the scripture says, as you as you just said. And that's why expositional teaching is so helpful. Where you go book by book because you, as these issues come up, you just deal with them, right? Um, thematic teaching is great as well, but to do book by book teaching of the Bible allows a pastor to address these issues as they are in the text. Correct. Yeah. Well, you mentioned there, there's several different types of, of teaching and preaching that are valid. If you look at Jesus, I can't find a single place where Jesus taught expositionally. I mean, Jesus didn't take a book and then expound it and teach it verse by verse. He, he tended to teach on topics because people would ask him questions. So it's topical or thematic, as you put it, is, is completely valid. But what happens there, you know, the danger with that is you, you jump around from topic to topic and you don't get the full depth of any one book. Mm-hmm. So in my time, I've done a combination of both. I've, yeah. I've, I've taken a book and gone through it, and I've also done a lot of topical stuff. And I, I think that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty true to what the Bible would, yeah. would say. We do see Jesus exegeting verses, you know, where he, go, he references in Matthew 19, he references, you know, Deuteronomy about divorce and Moses and have you not read and, and so on. But yes, of course, there wasn't, you know, enough room, you know, to actually go through a whole expositional teaching on a book of the Bible. A lot of that was done uh, as, as the, the, the Jews were being raised up there in the first century. They, they would memorize scripture and they were well versed in the Old Testament. But yes, Jesus definitely did the thematic teaching. Right. And, and Paul as well. Yeah. 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 yeah very much and, so. And throughout the, the, the New Testament. But like you say, it's the pastor's job to teach the Word of God, or, or at least it, it's, it's his job to make sure that it is taught. I mean, you know, there are some pastors that their gift is administration. They're, they're just great administrators, but they're not particularly great teachers or preachers. Doesn't that, that's fine. But they need, they need to make sure that somebody is regularly preaching and teaching the Word under their authority. Mm-hmm. And so it's the it's the pastor's job to make sure that the people are well taught well versed in scripture well able to know what that means in life in other words i, I mean I, I've, I've had i've heard pastors say well it's not my job to apply the scripture that's the holy spirit's job well that's true in a sense but why why in the world do you think god gave you the gift of teaching if you can't tell people okay in daily life it should look something like this mm-hmm. here's what it should look like in your life in the 21st century in the united states you know th- that's the that's part of the gift of teaching is to show you how that actually is practical in your life it's not just to throw doctrinal principles out there but it's to show you how those doctrinal principles should be lived out in a vibrant and fulfilling way in life. In Ephesians 4.11, it says, God set in the church, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers uh, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for acts of service, you know. Correct. So, so, so that is important to uh, equip uh, the believers, the citizens of the kingdom of God, with understanding from the scriptures 
on how to navigate these many toils and snares of this life that we have. And these issues are affecting the people and we must, you know, speak up on them and address them. And then people, when they're well taught in the scriptures and understand the mind of God regarding, uh, you know, divorce, regarding immorality, you know, regarding abortion, you know, and things. Then when racism. it comes to racism, uh, loving the stranger, helping the poor, yeah. you know, and, and this goes back to the, the, the balance that we need to have. You know, what happens in politics is there is a polarization that happens, partisanship, you know, conservatism versus liberalism. And Jesus was both liberal and conservative. He was the, in, the, in, in the classic understanding of the word liberal, meaning generous, okay, compassionate, you know. Uh, and then in the classic uh, definition of conservatism is to preserve, you know, preserve things. Okay? Preserve what is good. What is good. And so, um, so, so we see Jesus that he was generous, he was merciful and forgiving and gracious to those who were oppressed. And, but he also uh, was righteous and holy and preserved what was true and faithful to right. God's word. And so, so we, we as Christians, we love the stranger. We are to love the other, no matter what race, whatever, wherever they're coming from. We love people. We are compassionate to those who are oppressed. We are wanting to love the stranger and so on, the immigrant, okay, and help the poor. But we also are not compromising. We will not compromise on holiness with regards to sexual purity, regards to marriage, regards to the sanctity of life. So we can walk and chew gum at the same, we're called to do that. And when you walk with Jesus, you're going to get arrows from both sides. Yeah, that's true. That's absolutely true. I think a lot of people these days, especially after the last few years, when there's been so much just upheaval and discord and out and out hatred, people are looking to Christian leaders. Some people are anyway, looking to Christian leaders for, for some kind of guide for how, how do we do this? I mean, I, I hear this with people all, all the time in my circles is how do we, how do we do this now? I mean, what does it look like to be a Christian under the conditions that we are now, you know, experiencing? What does that, what does that look like? I mean, again, back to, back to politics. I mean, I know there's some people say, I just, I'm just done. I'm just done with politics because they don't believe that the system works. It's broken. Mm -hmm. Um, other people are saying, no, we need to get more involved and just be more careful and, you know, more diligent and, 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 and they want to, they want to renew their efforts. And, and, you know, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying people are wondering what in the world they can do. Some people just want to, they just want to hole up in their homes and hope that the whole thing just passes them by. Yeah. And I think Christian leaders need to respond to that. You don't have to say, oh, I'm, I'm for this party or I, you know, whatever this candidate but I think Christian leaders need to give people some kind of framework for what it looks like to function as a, a valid, authentic, and overcoming Christian in the 21st century in the United States. That's, that's imperative. We've got to do that. Because if you don't, then they won't know how to do evangelism. They won't know how to share their faith. They won't know how to grow in their faith. They, they'll just end up being paralyzed. And, I, well, we and, and that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to paralyze. And we are all in a spiritual battle. Right. We are. The enemy's come down knowing he has a short time, okay? Right. Coming down with great wrath. And so, so we are in a battle. Brothers and sisters, you're listening to Kingdom Talk Radio on 1550KXEX, the best talk in town. 
And uh, you can join us on Facebook uh, at Kingdom Talk or uh, Instagram, YouTube, or you can reach us on our Gmail uh, here at kingdomtalk at gmail.com uh, if you have any questions or comments there. But uh, yes, we are we are talking about all things kingdom and and uh, really uh, needing to to recognize that we are not to cower. We are to speak up. We are to uh, be that salt and light and to move forward in faith and confidence that Jesus Christ is king. We are the citizens of the kingdom of God and that Christ is the answer uh, to, to, to these challenges and these problems and that we're called to, to fight the good fight of faith and rise up uh, in faith and, and fight forward for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Right. Yeah. I think one of the things we need to have today is hope. So many people are hopeless about you know, we've tried this and we've tried that and we thought this person was going to work out and you know, we thought this policy was going to change things and, and they've just kind of given up. And I think it is a lack of faith to, to abandon hope. That doesn't mean that you have to be pie in the sky and not, not realistic. I mean, I'm, obviously there, a certain amount of realism is good for you, you know, that, that you don't always get what you want. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things do go bad and sometimes things do get delayed. But if you, if you give up hope entirely, then what you're saying is God, God's helpless. You know, the enemy's won. God can't, God can't do anything surprising and unexpectedly good. I'm looking these days myself to see what God might do. Um, because there's some things that we can do and there's some things only God can do. Our responsibility is to do what we can. Yes. It's to hold the line. It's to, it's to talk about our faith. It's to, it's to live as salt and light in the world. It's to bless people and honor God. But there are some things we just can't do. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes that probably very few people know about that only God can take care of. And, and we need to expect and even pray that God will do some of those amazing, miraculous things and never give hope, never give up hope that, uh, that God might intervene. Amen. And so the thing is, is we're not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of every ideology that rises up. You know, um, we, we, but we are to be clinging to the rock. And, uh, you know, Jesus, Jesus told Peter, you know, you are Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Okay. And so, so we have great hope. This is only getting better, brothers and sisters. The best is yet to come. Of the increase of his government and of his kingdom, there shall be no end. So as the world crumbles around us, we are clinging to the rock. We are built upon a solid foundation of Jesus Christ, the apostles and prophets, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. And so we can be uh, confident that we are a part of something that is only going to become stronger and better. And we know that in, in, in Daniel there, when that... Uh, that, that little rock that's carved out of the mountain hits that image. Uh, it's shattered into pieces and that little rock becomes a mountain and fills the whole earth. And so that's us. That's you and I, brothers and sisters. So let's be encouraged and full of hope because Jesus Christ is our hope. He's coming back and his kingdom is increasing. And now many bemoan the idea that there are so many people leaving the church right now uh, because of uh, just uh, the cultural pressure. But in a lot of ways, that's a good thing because many of them are cultural Christians. Now, we don't want to lose anybody, any of God's children. We know the enemy wants to pluck the seed out. We want to be praying for our, our weaker brothers and sisters and encouraging them in their faith. But some of them 
never really were with us and they went out from us that they might be manifest that they were not of us. And so, so in some sense, the culture turning against the church is purifying the church. And then those who are truly followers of Jesus uh, will uh, continue to press on and the church will become that much strong, more strong. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we, I want to be charitable here because we've been just been through a very, very difficult time, which I'm not even sure we're completely through yet. Yeah. You know, many churches shut down for long periods of time in mm -hmm. terms of meeting together. I mean, many, many churches tried to put together some kind of online service, online ministry, and, and some heroic efforts were made. I know in, in the church when I was just recently, I've been the the interim pastor at Yosemite Lakes Community Church. I, I finished with that about six weeks ago, but and we have a new pastor, which we're very excited about. But uh, I know during that time, you know, we had hard decisions to make, and, and our staff made a very heroic effort to provide as much as we could online and, and to sort of make up for the fact that we weren't meeting. So, you know, people have gotten out of the habit of meeting. It's just easier to watch it online. I mean, it's easy for that lazy... I, I, I I guess it's laziness where you just think I'd just rather stay home and watch it rather than go. But I think a lot of people are realizing, you know, that's nice for a while, but I miss the, the, the human contact that you get in church. I miss Absolutely. looking across the congregation and saying, oh, I haven't seen them in a while. Oh, it's, it's so good to see that, that they're back. Oh, you know what? I, I need to pray for them because, um, because I know that they're going through, you know, some health problem or whatever it is. It, it's just so important to do that. It's nice for someone to come up and touch you on the shoulder. Mm -hmm. You know, that means a lot to people, subconsciously especially. And and there's just nothing like being in a crowd of people that are honoring God through song and prayer and who are listening and trying to apply the Word of God and then getting in and serving. I mean, doing something yes. to enhance the ministry of the church and to um, and to, to bless the community. That is, is so important. And watching something online, as good a service as it might be, it's just not the same. Boy, you really are touching on some good things there, Dr. Michael. And, and serving is a huge part of our call as citizens of the kingdom of God. That's how the kingdom becomes robust and dynamic mm -hmm. and uh, affecting body, soul, and spirit, not just, you know, uh, th th three songs in a sermon, you know. And so... When, when I'm discouraged, which happens to all of us, you know, and I'm not wanting to get up and go to church on Sunday morning, I, I make an effort to go. He says, gather together the more often as you see the day approaching. And I make an effort to connect with somebody and encourage them. Mm -hmm. Before right. I leave the church, I, I, I will stay and wait and I will find somebody that I can go connect with them and give them a word that will lift up their hope and, and, and their trust in Christ. Yeah. And that's, that's something you can learn to do. I, I am naturally sort of an introvert. I, I, I know some people might find that a bit hard to believe, but I am. I, I'm kind of somebody who does my own thing, and, and I'm, I'll, I'll sort of stand there and watch and so forth. But as a pastor, you cannot do that. <laughs> yeah. You cannot do that. So I have learned over the years mm -hmm. how to contact and, and to connect with people. And I find that it blesses me as much as it does them. And I, I now to the place where I'm thinking, there's something wrong with me if I don't go out and do that. Yes. I, I don't feel guilty about it. I just feel like something's missing in my life because I so enjoy, like you say, brightening somebody up or, or you know, saying, how's that, how's that cancer treatment going? There you, you go. Know, been praying yeah. for you. Or, you know, I, you know I, I realized, you know, you lost your job. You found anything yet? You know, you know th that sort of thing. 
it helps you as much as it helps them. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's not all about me. You know, it's about going and serving others. Well, I don't like the music or the new worship leader. I don't like the the preaching. I don't like, you know, it's not about us individually. It's about the corporate kingdom of God as being citizens of the kingdom of God. And I can't tell you how many times I go to church, you know, and and I don't feel like I want to go. And I go and next thing you know, I'm walking out of there with a lift in my heel filled with the spirit, wanting to go out and tell somebody Jesus Christ is Lord, you know? Uh, And so uh, it's important to gather together. Now, now we're talking about the kingdom of God and and how we function in the kingdom of God and what's going on in our culture. Because again, there's two kingdoms, kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And, uh, and what I wanted to say this, I, I really believe the Lord wants to, to, to remind us, and I think he's doing this. So you test this, ladies and gentlemen, but I believe what's going on uh, largely with what's happening in our culture, there's a chastening of the church. Peter said the time has come that judgment uh, must begin in the house of God and first begin at us, what shall the, be end of, what shall the end be of those who obey not the gospel? Okay, so the time has come that for judgment to come to the house of God. So there's a chastening, I believe, that's happening on the church where God is wanting to shift our allegiances away from the kingdom of man more towards allegiance to the kingdom of God, to find our identity in Jesus, in the people of God, in the church, in the kingdom of God, being our true identity more than citizens of America. And or, or any other country. Any other country, citizens of the world. Right. Uh, and so that is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what's eternal. It, yes. You know, our, our, our status as citizens of whatever country, that's going to end when we die. Yeah. But, but citizenship in the kingdom of God is eternal, and that's what we need to be focusing on. But in the meantime, if we find ourselves citizens of one country or another, then we need to make that place better. Exactly. Scripture says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Well, mm-hmm. you know, what's your Jerusalem? What, what's your homeland? You better pay, pray for the peace of that place because that's your duty is to, is to help where you live be better. And that's why God put us in the world. If, if he wasn't concerned about that, I guess he would have taken us directly to heaven from the very beginning. But he set us here so that we can make a difference and if you're not making a difference, then you need to start asking yourself, why not? Well, you know, in Jeremiah 29 here, um, we see this is what the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel says to all the exiles, I deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. So, so really the world is Babylon. Okay. It's and a it, picture of the world. Yeah, yes. it's a picture. And it, said, it says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, find wives for yourselves. Have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men to marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Okay? So there's that the pursuing the well-being or the common good of society. We are called to do that as we are in the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. Now, but there was also a time... That was when they went into exile. But there was a, then when, when uh, Cyrus shows up and he is called of God to make a decree, right, to go and restore the kingdom. He sent the Jews home again. Didn't he? Exile. Didn't he yeah. do that? And brothers and sisters, that's where we are at today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's what I was just talking about with regards to this chastening that where we're shifting our allegiances from the kingdom of the world to the kingdom of God. 
we are to come out, come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. Now, that doesn't mean that we still don't influence, but we are restoring the kingdom of God like Ezra and Nehemiah, where they had a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And so we're called to build the, the, the wall of the kingdom and build the kingdom of, of God on the earth. And that's a beautiful picture of where we're at now, I believe, where we are called to go and leave Babylon and shift more towards the kingdom of God and recognize the priority of the kingdom of God over the kingdom of man and find that greater identity in, in, in Christ. Well, and you, you know, you talk about to pray for the well-being or the peace of, of the place where you, you are. Wherever we are, we need to make sure that we're contributing towards the benefit of society. Uh, what does that look like? Well, it, it looks like all kinds of things. It might look like running for office. It might look like, um, you know, feeding, you know, somebody who's who's hungry. And, you know, we can we can debate about the best policy for homeless people and all that. But still, that's a problem that we need to be addressing and we can contribute to that. Mm -hmm. We are not here in this life or in this community just to benefit ourselves and, and then just disappear. We're here to make a mark. And the reason why things are as good as they are is that people before us have left their mark. Mm -hmm. And we owe them that debt of gratitude. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have done things to reform society. Um, you know, you know, you, we talk about slavery, okay? Slavery was not eradicated in this country until the end of the Civil War, all right? Um, somebody sweat blood to make that happen. There, are, there were men who died to make that happen. There, there were people who worked countless hours to see that day come. And yet we, we take that for granted, like, okay, that's just the way it should be. Well, it, it's that way because somebody made huge sacrifices to make that happen. And, and so, okay, so that's great in the past. What are we doing now to make the kinds of sacrifices that will make the world a better place to live in for future generations? That's something that's upon our shoulders to do. Let your good works shine before men that they may glorify your Father in heaven. And then Paul says, do good unto all men especially those of the household of faith. There's that priority of the kingdom, mm -hmm. uh, and, but yet we're to do good unto all men. So it's that common good. Uh, and, 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 and ultimately, I think, you know, the most powerful way is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So not everybody's called to be an evangelist. We're going to have a young evangelist on here uh, in the next uh, few weeks. Um, he was supposed to be on today, but... Um, but we're all called to share the gospel. Not everybody's called to go preaching on a street corner, on a soapbox, you know, but we're all called to share the good news. And so let's uh, do that. Let's, let's be faithful to just point people to, to God and to Christ. And even now, uh, for those that are listening, uh, if you're driving down the road right now, you're in the kitchen, you're sitting in your, in your bedroom, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on you, that means you, whosoever means you, whosoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your opportunity to find entrance into the kingdom of God. You must be born again to see the kingdom of God and you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God, Jesus says in John 3. And so will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Will you turn from your sin and trust that what Christ accomplished, his obedience unto death, even the death on the cross, that he paid that price for you, 
you have a debt that you could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe. He loves you. He's calling you even now by name. Put your trust in him. Enter into the kingdom of God. Have citizenship in an eternal society that will never vanish away. It will only increase. Have hope. Forgiveness of sins. He'll wash you clean. He'll set you apart. He'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. He'll take out that stony heart. He will make you a new creation. You'll have a new community, a new uh, society, a new family to, to be a member of. And God will set you free from drug addiction. He'll set you free from depression and suicidal thoughts. Jesus Christ is alive and well, brothers and sisters. Ladies and gentlemen, put your trust in Jesus and enter into the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is here. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to think that God does, out of all the billions of people on the face of the earth and all the many billions of others who have lived, God still cares very much about you. Yes. You know, and, and it's hard to believe that because society tends to tell us that we're just, you know, we're just one little speck in this vast ocean of humanity and that we don't count for much. And, and that's the way sometimes people treat us. But God does not treat us that way. God cares about you. God, God is, you know, Jesus said that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And, you know, that, that's real specific information that God knows and tr cherishes about you. He, he wants you to be with him forever. And, I, and, and Dennis is right. The most important thing we can do for people is to help them come back to God and to know the joys and the fulfillment and the blessings of being one of his people. People think that being a Christian is boring. That's only because mm, some Christians it. have given the impression that life is boring. Don't go by, by what Christians mistakenly do. Go by what God has promised, which is life in all of its abundance. And I can tell you that that's what I've experienced. Come on now. That's the thing. You know, Jesus is looking for a few good men and women. And women and children. You know, and children. You know, uh, this is a battlefield. This is a war. And it's when we are out there fighting on the front lines bringing the gospel that's what attracts people is that this life is 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 about it's exciting it's it's risk taking we are you know putting our lives on the line for the gospel and it is a, a warfare it isn't going to be all just you know roses and, and sugar and honey and everything it's going to be a battle but it's a battle worth fighting it's the yes. good fight and we have victory guaranteed in Christ Jesus we're on the winning side it's nice to know that. I mean, if you knew that you were on a sports team and, you know, here you're, it's the fourth quarter and you're down <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, we'll never win. And yet somehow you knew that in the end you'd pull it off. You'd be very encouraged. I think that's how we should be. I coached my son's soccer team one year and they were, they were like, this is, they're like seven or eight years old in the very beginning, you know. And uh, I had one young man who would, he made, he's an amazing player. Okay. I think he was actually a little bit older. He probably should have been in a different group, but he would make 90% of the goals. And it was amazing. We'd, we won every single game, every game we won. And the kids had such a blast. I was not a great coach, but it was so much fun because we had that one player and that's Jesus. You know, he's there. He's kicking those goals in for us. We're guaranteed to win yeah. Yeah, on, on this side. So we're on the winning side. We're on the right side of history. Right. Okay. We're on the right side uh, in Christ because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he did say that the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, one of these times we're going to talk about what are those gates? What gates are stationary? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we're called to storm the gates of hell. They, 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 gates are holding people in bondage. Uh, and uh, we're called to, to go and set the captives free from the bondage of sin and Satan. 
Yeah. Yeah. And and so we'll, we'll, we'll get a chance to talk about that. But, uh, you know, we're just grateful that we had this time to talk, Dr. Michael. We covered some good ground here today with regards to the two kingdoms, what it is to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, what it is to, to be an influencer in the world. Um, I appreciate your knowledge base. We're going to tap into that more as we go forward on these Saturdays because we're wanting to uh, encourage people to keep the faith, but not only keep the faith, share the faith, and to move forward in confidence and hope today in these amazing times. It is a great time to be alive in Christ Jesus here at planet Earth in Central California. Let's go forward with a lift in our heel, the Word of God in our lips, a two-edged sword in our hands of the Word of God, and go forth in faith and confidence. God bless you all. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time. And it's a wrap. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir.